to the Talk of Fame Network with Ron Borges. Cannot play with him. Rick Gosselin. Cannot win with him. And Clark Judge. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. On Yahoo Sports Radio. I want winners. We've got a winner right here. Carl Mecklenburg, a.k.a. the Albino Rhino, may have been the most versatile defensive player in NFL history. He didn't play both ways, not like Chuck Bednarik, but for 12 years he played nearly everywhere in the Denver defense. His resume tells you he was a six-time Pro Bowler linebacker, but what it doesn't say is he played every front seven position in Joe Collier's 3-4 defense. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes, all in the same game. When he retired after the 94 season, Carl Mecklenburg was the Broncos' all-time sack leader with 79 and a half. And today, 21 years later, not only second only to Simon Fletcher, the team franchise, but one of 25 semifinalists for the Hall's class of 2016. He's also our guest. Carl, thanks for joining us. Uh, my pleasure. Well, Carl, I was talking to Joe Collier uh, not too long ago, and he said that uh, you often had double and triple the assignments of everybody else on defense. So I'm just sort of wanting, you know, Playing at one time or another seven different positions, as, as Clark said, how did you juggle preparation to play all those different positions? And did it ever, in your opinion, take you away from what you might have accomplished in just one position? I, I don't think it took me away from what I would have accomplished in one position. The only reason Joe moved me around was to uh, force mismatches and, and mess up blocking assignments for the other, uh, other team. He was trying to put me at the point of attack. I was I was a 12th round draft pick. I was a 310th guy picked in the draft because I wasn't the fastest guy in the world. <laughs> I was quick, but I, if I was playing outside linebacker and they were running the other way, there was no way I was going to run them down. So Joe moved me around, uh, and it was it was a great opportunity for me. I, I didn't ever look at it as a negative. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you. This is incredible to me. You failed to make your high school hockey team, basketball team, and baseball team. <laughs> Uh, you failed yeah. to get a D1 scholarship originally. You went to Augustana for a couple of years before you transferred to Minnesota. And then, as you point out, uh, you were a 12th-round draft choice. Did you ever doubt yourself and your athletic ability? You know, I, I learned ways to compensate. The real difference, um, once you get to the pros, between the guys that are, are real successful and those that aren't are the, those who are able to be decisive. If you can take that first step in the right direction before anybody else does, all the angles change in your favor. You can uh, you can make plays all day long that way. I always figured if I had to run 40 yards, uh, we were in big trouble anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> Not the albino rhino. Uh-uh, he can run 40 yards. <laughs> we're I can run with... 40 yards. It's just not as fast as a lot of the other guys. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, we're with that rhino. That's Carl Mecklenburg on the Talk of Fame Network. And, and Carl, there's a story that says the Broncos discovered you when they were watching film of Chris Hinton, and you beat him. Two sacks. Now I remember Chris because I was covering the Colts when they when the Broncos drafted him, and then of course in 1983 when they traded him to Baltimore for John Elway and took you. Was that good luck on the Broncos' fortune or the Broncos' part, or was it simply good scouting? You know, uh, they they did send two different scouts to scout me, ran me through the whole batch of tests they run you through. I, I wasn't invited to the combine that year, so uh, they kind of had had me to themselves. Atlanta was looking at me, and Atlanta would have drafted me uh, in a higher round than the 12th round. They were talking about the 7th round. But their first two draft choices were defensive linemen, pass rushers, which is what I was in, in college. It wasn't until my third year in the NFL that I ever played linebacker and didn't start till the 10th game and made the Pro Bowl that year as an all-pro linebacker. So uh, 
I was I was a late bloomer and and really found my my place in in football there, uh, you know, in my third year. And it and it's kudos to Joe. I mean, Joe and and uh, Merle Moore, uh, Joe Collier and Merle Moore identified uh, something about me that that they thought they could take advantage of and and use uh, as a linebacker. And no other coach had ever seen that. That was a pretty good draft for Denver. You start with Elway and you finish with you. Worked out. You know, we actually had 13 rookies make it that year. It wow! Was wow! Where, yeah, it was crazy. It was a, it was a, uh, a purge year. I think is what you call. It. <laughs> <laughs> Remember those twelve round, those twelve round drafts? So they went forever. I mean, they just went forever in the middle of the night. You know, it's unreal because people today think twelve rounds. That's crazy. But that was a reality. Yeah, you know, it was, and I was a second. I was a second thought. I mean, it was it was midnight on the second day, and uh, Jenny Ann. The uh, the the Broncos uh, secretary called me up, and it wasn't even the coach. So <laughs> said, uh, we, we got a we got a plane ticket for you. Come on over. Uh, at that time, the USFL was also in in contention for players, so they were they were kind of whining and dining us and bringing us in uh, to to hope that that we'd come to our their training camp instead of I guess it was the World League back then. Yeah, or USFL, I guess. You know, I read somewhere that uh, winning that that you you had told somebody at one point that the winning the '86 AFC Championship game in Cleveland uh, was one of your most memorable uh, moments. And my recollection was some crazy things went on the night before the game. Do you remember that game? And do you remember how oh, much yeah. sleep you got in <laughs> Cleveland that night? Yeah, they they drove around our hotel all night. We were at kind of a downtown tower hotel. And there was an alley behind it. They the Browns fans drove around our hotel in a circle all night long, honking their horns and, and barking, <laughs> trying to keep us awake. Uh, it was it was us against the world. I mean, we had drawn, we had driven down um, to the stadium from the hotel on Saturday. You got to get there a day early, so we're down there on Saturday just to do a walkthrough and stuff. And it it was like uh, someone had set off the neutron bomb. There was not a, a soul living in downtown. <laughs> downtown Cleveland on a Saturday uh, at that point uh, obviously they've they've upgraded down there but back then it was it was uh, a dead zone and, and the next day as we're driving down there the whole route was lined with with Browns fans throwing dog bones at our at our bus and barking at us and yelling at us and cussing at us it was it was it was us against the world. There's no doubt about that. Where were those fans <laughs> after the game? I didn't see them. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> hey, Carl. Um, only four Broncos are in the Hall of Fame, and and you know Denver's been to the Super Bowl seven times, but only four Broncos in the Hall of Fame. And you've been a semifinalist five straight years, but never reached the finals. Question for you. All offensive players, too. Yeah, that's players. right. That is that is right. That's yeah, right. In fact, right. In fact, we were pushing Steve Atwater on a recent show for the Hall of Fame, too. I mean, you've got Gratishar, you, Atwater. I mean, there are numbers of guys. Um, and I guess my question is, had your team won one of the three Super Bowls that you played in, do you think things might have been different either for you or the Broncos in Canton? You know, I'm not sure. Uh, it, you know, it, there, there's lots of guys in Canton who never played in a, in a Super Bowl. Uh, never, there's guys in the in Canton who never played in a playoff game. Uh, it's it's uh, it's interesting the different kind of filters that people use to decide whether someone's a Hall of Fame player or not. I mean, Randy Gratisher was an unbelievable player. He, he he was dominant, but but they say well he played for ten years. He didn't he didn't play as long as some guys. We've got a Louis Wright out here who was just uh, yeah. the original shutdown corner. Right. Uh, and, and he doesn't get mentioned. We got Dennis Smith, who was he 
scared running backs. I mean, uh, I heard inter- an interview of Thurman Thomas about uh, what about the Broncos, and he said that Dennis Smith is crazy. I don't want. <laughs> I, mean, I don't want. I mean, we we had some unbelievable players through the years uh, here here in Denver that uh, obviously deserve recognition, um, but. There's there's players across the league that deserve recognition and and it's it's a I mean my situation is strange because I played all seven front positions uh, and my statistics don't match up with someone who just played one position I don't mm-hmm. I don't have as many sacks as somebody who rushed the passer every right. down I don't have some you know as many interceptions or tackles as someone who played middle linebacker every down and so so I, I think one of the challenges that I face in in uh, having the opportunity to go to the the Hall of Fame is is that Statistically, uh, people don't know what to do with me. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm thinking though this year uh, with with uh, some of the things JJ Watt is doing and and Clay Matthews are doing um, as far as moving around and you know obviously Matthews is just moving around as a linebacker and Watt is just moving around as a lineman. But uh, may, maybe the uh, difficulty of, of being able to play you know all seven front positions a lot of times in a single game maybe. Uh, is is brought to light a little bit by what they're able to do. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because we had Roger Craig also on recently, and he talked about how versatility he thinks hurt him because he came as a fullback, he became a halfback, and he went to the Pro Bowl as both, but he doesn't have the rushing yardage um, that people would like to see, and yet he caught a zillion passes, and yet the versatility, as he said, seems to be lost, and yet today we're looking for those versatile players. And you talked about, you know, on defense, Watt, Matthews, the same thing on offense, looking for guys who can catch the ball coming out of the backfield, guys who can run. He did that, and yet he's in the same boat. He can't break through to the final 15, although he did it once in 2010, but it hasn't since. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it, it's a subjective thing. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. and we, we, had, uh, we had some dominant defenses uh, when, I, when I was playing here in Denver, a lot of, a lot of big wins. Uh, I know John gets the credit for uh, you know, all those comebacks, but we had to let the other team get ahead first. Yeah, right. <laughs> thanks for the help. Yeah, thanks for the help. Hey, Carl, we've got about we've got about two minutes left, but uh, and we're with Carl Mecklenburg on the Talk of Him Network. I want to ask you. I mean, your father was a doctor. Mom served in the Reagan administration. You were close, I think, to attending med school. Uh, why football over medical career? I knew I loved football uh, pre med, and I and I took the entrance exam and, and scored well enough to go. But but pre med doesn't have a whole lot to do with being a doctor. It's kind of a weeding out process. I mean. Mm. You, you don't see a lot of doctors doing inorganic chemistry or, you know, I mean, whatever, all the, <laughs> right, all the stuff right. you have to do. I knew I loved football, so uh, I thought I'd, I'd play football, hopefully, uh, you know, hang on for a year or two to help fund medical school, and, and lo and behold, uh, I was a pro player and, and, a, and a great one. So it was, uh, it was a, a wonderful opportunity. I wouldn't change anything about it. We, we, uh, we had great teams and, and played, like I said, in some, some awesome games. And, and a lot of those guys are still my best friends in the world. So it was, uh, it was a great experience, and, I, and I'm glad I made that choice. You've been outspoken and involved in the concussion issue. Uh, in the, you're battling the effects of concussions yourself. Now you've got the new concussion movie coming out with Will, uh, Will Smith playing uh, uh, Dr. Omalu. A, uh, do you feel the NFL is is doing uh, is doing the right thing now or doing uh, better now? And B, do you intend on going to see that concussion movie when it comes out uh, on Christmas Day? What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. You Very almost good. got me there. Very good. Very good. <laughs> right. Well, I, you know, truthfully, um, yeah. I mean, I have issues. Uh, I'm 55 years old, um, and 
and you know my phone's full of photographs of parking spots and hotel room numbers and, and stuff that I, I just don't remember. But uh, I've learned to adjust in a lot in, in, in much the same way that I learned to adjust uh, to the lack of blazing uh, forty time in the NFL. You just you, you figure out ways around challenges. I'm I'm so happy that uh, that the dangers of concussions ha- have come to the come to the forefront that that there's been a light shown on that carl thanks for the time and best of luck with your hall of fame candidacy let's get appreciate it Um, uh, yep sounds great thanks thank you thank you that was hall of fame semifinalist carl mecklenburg coming up we'll give receive and re-gift for the holidays ron do you re-gift boy kidding me all the time you get bad ties from bad people (laughs) Well, we are bad people, but we're going to commercial. We're listening, and you're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. 